Thank you, Laura Lee. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Turn to Ephesians, would you? Chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We took the last couple of weeks and uh, we were considering the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. And then, of course, last week, uh, taking a close look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that much, I shouldn't say all, but much of that that entails and brings to us. And um, I want to get back into our being a church member series, what it means to be a church member, a member of a church. And we left off in chapter four. You remember um, we had talked a little bit about our inheritance, the inheritance that we have in Christ. The first few chapters of the book of Ephesians talk about that. And uh, then when we get late, a little bit later, chapter four um, talks about walking worthy of the unity of the spirit. We considered that. And, uh, and then when we get into chapter 4, verse 7 and following, uh, we see that Christ gave gifts to the church. He gave pastors and evangelists, teachers, um, apostles and prophets to the church so that the church would be edified, the church would be built up, strengthened. And uh, look again at verse 3 for just a moment. You see there where he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now, remember, for just a moment, uh, let's go back in time a little bit, review just very briefly. Um, you remember that country club mindset that might be had at a com- country club, right? You pay your dues, and and uh, and then you can say, you know what, I need a locker that's bigger, the carpet's not to my liking, uh, you didn't polish my golf clubs, like I want, um, you didn't put them back in the right order. You know, that would be the mindset, perhaps, of a country club mindset. Uh, I don't think any country club members go to the country club with a mindset to to minister and serve everybody else. I don't know if any uh, country club member has ever gone. And, uh, and while they're there, they came to play with their foursome. And yet they see a need, you know, a flat tire on a cart and say, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to take care of that. Or can I polish your club, your shoes for you? Or, uh, you know, greeting members. That's probably not the norm at a, a, a golf club or a country club in that sense. And so within a church, we have membership, but we're not to have a country club mindset when it comes to our membership. No, that's not the mindset we're supposed to have. And so we, we considered the mind of Christ and how we're to think like Christ and and we were to have the mind of considering thinking of others better than ourselves. Uh, it doesn't have to be my way or, or we'd all just come apart trying to make it our way. OK, um, we considered spiritual gifts and how those gifts are given to us by the Lord through his spirit. And so he's actually working in all of this to bring us together. I so enjoyed the past couple of weeks in particular, just considering the sacrifice of of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning in Sunday school, Josh Harney in our in our class, one of our Sunday school classes, the home builders class was talking about that, remembering, being reminded of who we used to be and being reminded of God's love for us. And when we think about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, when we think of our salvation, we often think of the sacrifice of that Jesus Christ made for us on the cross, becoming our sin so that we could become his righteousness. 
Um, and sometimes when we think about our salvation, sometimes we don't think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Christ and his work and his role in making us as individuals who God wants us to be or us as a church who God wants us to be. But the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us would not be enjoyed by us if it were not for the the work of the Holy Spirit in us. You think about this. If Christ had, had died, became our sin, died our death, and been raised from the dead, and yet if he had never sent his Spirit to indwell us, to seal us under the day of redemption, to guide us, and comfort us, and convict us, and encourage us, console us, to dwell within us, then we would not experience the salvation that Jesus Christ purchased for us. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is incredibly, incredibly important. In in chapter 4, you remember in verse number 13, he talked about this unity of the Spirit and the the church coming to maturity, growing up in strength. In verse 14, he talked about the church being stable. Uh, And again, the context is through the ministry of the Spirit. In verse number 15, he talks about the church being sincere and genuine, not a bunch of actors. Not, not Not a bunch of people coming together and putting on an act, but genuine, genuine. And, uh, and, and we know ourselves, and I don't, when I consider Trinity Baptist Church, I don't consider us to be a bunch of actors. We all um, have flesh, we all sin, and yet those who are saved, who are a part of the church, we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. He is actively working in each of us to accomplish His will And he's protecting, he's convicting all of these sorts of things in all of our lives. And he's accomplishing his his plan. Look at verse number 17, would you? Verse number 17. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. You know better. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye Put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Now, who is he talking to here? Look at the end of verse 25. For we, he's talking to the church, are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, 
that he may have to give to them that need it. Let no corrupt uh, corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, before we pray, I want you to look back to verse 3. And he talks there, he mentions, keep the unity of the Spirit. We're to endeavor, we're to labor, to keep the unity of the Spirit within the church. What happens... Uh, We're going to see this morning how we cannot keep the unity of the Spirit, how we can hurt that unity that is of the Spirit. And and I want you to notice something this morning that is, I think, important for us to know, and that is what we do to the Holy Spirit when we are not endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. So you see in verse 3, he says, keep the unity of the Spirit, Now look all the way down, if you would, to verse number 30, the beginning part. He says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So he, the Spirit of Christ, when we we believed upon Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says we were born again. We were born of the Spirit. We were dead spiritually before we believed. And when we believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, his Spirit came into each of us individually. We were born again. We became alive spiritually, which means that we can understand the truth of the word of God before we couldn't. We could sit in a preaching service. It would be preached. and It was like, wah, 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 wah. And it was like, can I go home yet? Because this means nothing to me. But when the spirit of God took up residence in your life, When the word of God is taught and preached, the spirit within you takes his word, which the Bible calls his sword, the sword of the spirit, and he he moves and he cuts sometimes. And when the preacher preaches, it's like God is speaking to you because he is the spirit of Christ in you is speaking to you through his word. And you became alive. And it's not just on a Sunday morning when the word of God is being preached. It's throughout the week when you when you are tempted. The spirit of Christ within you says you shouldn't do that. Or he'll bring scripture back to your mind. He'll convict your heart when you sinned. And when I've sinned, he'll convict our hearts. And uh, but but when you and I say no to the Holy Spirit of Christ inside of us, the Bible says that we grieve Him. Now, unity is of the Spirit. The gifts that we've been given, the spiritual gifts, are from the Father, by the work of Christ, and they are produced in us by the Spirit of God. But when individual members 
say are individually saying no to the spirit of Christ, not only do we rob ourselves and the church of what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do, but we also hurt, hurt the spirit of Christ within us. Have you ever been hurt? Has someone ever hurt you? And I'm not trying to stir up bitterness, okay? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Have you ever been hurt? Maybe you just want to sit down and just curl up and just weep. You were offended. And I don't mean you took offense, but they hurt you. And I want you to know something this morning as we look at this passage. Each one of us have the ability to hurt the Lord Jesus Christ in his spirit. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt the one who is faithful to me every day of my life. Who loves me, who has loved me through every moment of my life. Since I've been saved, he's been with me through everything, through every one of my failures, through every trial, through every time of growing and learning and weakness. The spirit of Christ has been with me and he loves me and he's faithful to me. And you and I can hurt him. And uh, I want to see that this morning. Let's pray. We'll ask God's blessing And then let's look at these verses together. Father, I pray that you'd help us today as we look at your word. We are your church. We belong to you. You you bought us with the blood of your son. You sealed us. You secured our salvation by the person of your spirit. You never leave us and you never forsake us by your spirit. You love us so dearly. And Father, you know our frame, you know our failures, you know how prone to wandering we are, and you love us still. So we're gathered together to worship you and to learn of you. We need your help. So teach us by your spirit and by your word today, I pray. Build this church into being the church that you would have us to be. Father, I pray that Trinity Baptist Church would be characterized as a group of people who say yes to your spirit. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So stay in in chapter 4 for just a moment. Um, I want you to look down to verse number 17 again, would you? Because it's possible for us to to inflict sadness uh, upon the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word grieve means to cause to sorrow or to cause heaviness. To cause distress. Okay, so you felt agony. I'm I'm reminded of the agony of Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he sweat, uh, as it were, great drops of blood. Was he afraid of death? No. Um, Was he scared of the abuse physically he was going to take? I don't believe so. What was it that caused him such agony in the Garden of Gethsemane? I believe with all my heart, it was that he knew he, being holy, was about to become sin. 
He was going to take on himself the sins of the whole world. And the agony of the cross was not the abuse physically. The agony of all of that was not the the abuse of his beard being plucked or the crown of thorns or the mockery or the flogging that he endured. It wasn't the nails being driven into his hands and feet. The agony of the cross was that God became sin. That's the agony of the cross. And I think there's a correlation between that agony, God becoming sin, and the Spirit of Christ living in each one of us, being dragged into sin by us. When he grieves, when he is grieved, okay, and he hurts. So in this, in this, our sins show up in a lot of ways, right? And we're going to move on from this. I don't want you to be entirely discouraged today as we consider these things. But when a husband and wife are quarreling and they won't forgive one another, or when we, we have the spiritual gifts that God has given to us in abundance, and yet we, re, we hold them back from serving Him, from ministering to His body and loving Him. Agree, that's selfishness. It grieves the Spirit. Okay. Uh, look at verse number, verse number 17 again. And I'll look down through verse number 19. The gist of these verses is, don't be like the world. Okay, he's talking to the church. He said in verse 3, keep the unity of the Spirit. In verse number 30, he's going to say, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now look at verse 17. He says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Talking Gentiles is a reference to those who are unsaved. In the vanity of their mind. And the emphasis of this is don't walk like unsaved people. Don't live like unsaved people. Walk worthy of the unity of the Spirit of Christ. Okay? Uh, That's what the emphasis is. Look at verse number 18. He says, having the understanding uh, darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So there's... They're unsaved, right? They're lost. Verse 19, who being past feeling, they've been desensitized to sin. They're callous. They have a seared conscience. Have you ever been there? You went through a season, maybe, even as a child of God, where your conscience has been seared. You're still going through the motions of serving the Lord. People may look at your life and they may think there's a servant of God, but you know in your heart it's a season of temptation, and you've been giving into it, and you're trying to do both. You're trying to serve the Lord, and you're trying to serve self, and you're miserable. Have you ever been there? All right. So he's saying these their past feeling, having given themselves over unto lasciviousness, which is uh, an old English word that has the idea of are all forms of sexual immorality. Okay? Lasciviousness. To work all uncleanness with greediness. And the words uncleanness with greediness have the idea of the endless pursuit of sexual impurity. Okay? 
This is our world today, okay? This is our world today. And then in verse 20 he says, but ye have not so learned Christ. Another way to say that would be, you know better. You know better. Now, we come from a variety of backgrounds in this room. Some of us maybe were raised very conser- in very conservative homes. You know, uh, maybe you grew up, you didn't have a TV. Um, you know, I didn't, we didn't have a TV in, in our home until I was in seventh grade. And I remember the other kid, my other friends talking about shows and this show and that show and cartoons on Saturday and cartoons on Saturday. I'm out chopping wood with my dad, you know, or whatever. So I didn't, I didn't know about that until seventh grade. Um, so maybe you were raised in a conservative home. Maybe you were raised in a home where there was a lot of liberty and you were able to do a lot of things. I mean, we, li- we live in a world today where there's a push, and even in Florida there's this push, um, and there's this war between, you know, children have the ought to be taught by the government about sex. Okay? There are parents in our world today who they give things to their children when they're young so that those children can explore sexually. Okay? So that's one extreme. And then you have those on the other extreme and there's never a conversation between mom and dad about it. It's almost like it doesn't exist at all. They never see mom and dad hold hands. They never see mom and dad hug. That should happen, by the way. Mom and dad should hug. Mom and dad should hold hands. Mom and dad should kiss. And the children should see it. Okay. But he's telling this church, you have these awful things that are in the world. You know better. Now, how do they know better? And according to the context, it would be the spirit of Christ is is teaching you. He's leading you. So here's the thing. No matter if your background is one of uh, a lot of liberalism when it comes to uh, worldly things or sexual things, or whether your upbringing was one of uh, ultra conservatism, on the other hand, if you're a born again child of God, the spirit of Christ lives within you. He is teaching you. He is leading you. Okay. You know better. In verse number 21, he goes on. He says, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So he's saying, listen to the Lord. Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for you. He was buried for you. He rose again for you. Right. He took your sins upon himself. He suffered your death. And you've believed upon him. The Bible says your sins have been buried in the depths of the deepest sea. The Bible says that our sins have been taken away from us as far as the east is from the west. If you go north in the globe, when you get to the North Pole, if you keep going, what direction are you going? You go north to the North Pole, and then you cross the North Pole, and what way are you going now? South. But if you go west around the globe, along the equator. If you're going west, do you ever start going east? No, you just keep going. So as far as the east is from the west, the Bible did not, God did not say your sins are as far as the north is from the south because they would run into each other. But as far as the east is from the west, they never touch. They just keep going. That's how far God has removed our sins from us. 
And so now he's saying, look at verse 22, stop doing those things that are wrong. Listen to the Lord, verse 22, that ye put off, he says, concerning the former conversation, the way you used to live your life, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Start thinking the way God thinks. Now, that's, there's a battle there. Your flesh, our flesh has an agenda. It has desires. The Spirit of Christ, if He lives in you, if you're saved, He lives in you, and He is true. He speaks the truth. He is pure. He is holy. So there's this conflict between the the flesh and the Spirit within us. But here comes this directive from the Spirit of God to us, and He tells us in verse 24, Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Verse 25, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Now, I want to give you three. I'm going to identify, and it's in the passage very clearly, three particular sins that cause the Holy Spirit to grieve. Now, these are things that all of us can do, okay? And we do them, okay? Three particular sins that can that we can do that will cause the Holy Spirit to grieve, to hurt. And the first one is dishonesty. And you saw it there in verse 25 when I read it. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Dishonesty grieves the Holy Spirit. Dishonesty grieves the Holy Spirit. Why, why would a person, why, why would a believer lie? Why does anybody lie, right? Why did we used to lie before we were saved? And why do sometimes God's people still lie? Well, I, I think you're right, Jimmy, to cover up sin. We want people to think highly of us, right? If if you if if they knew the truth, so so we want people to think highly of us to protect ourselves. We don't want the ramifications for the whole truth, and so we tell half truths. And because we only tell half the truth, we're guilty of deceiving and bearing false witness, uh, allowing others to believe lies. What does the Bible say about lying? Well, the Bible says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. In Proverbs 26 and verse 28, the Bible says, A lying tongue hateth those that are afflicted by it. The Bible tells us that Satan is the father of all lies. In Revelation 21, we're told that hell was created for liars. God hates lying. He hates the lying tongue. In Proverbs 6 and verse 16, the Bible says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, <clears throat> excuse me, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. What are these six things that the Lord hates? <clears throat> a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running the mischief, and a false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among the brethren. So you have six things, and two of them are false witness, 
and a lying tongue. Two of them are named. Two of the six have to do with lying. You remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts? Turn there with me, if you would, Acts chapter 5 for just a moment. Acts chapter 5 and verse number 1. Acts 5 and verse 1. We'll move off of dishonesty momentarily. But dishonesty within the context grieves the Holy Spirit. Look at Acts 5 verse 1. The Bible says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles feet. Verse three of Acts five. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Now, here's it, it, here it is in a nutshell. Ananias and Sapphira, as a husband and wife, had told God and the apostles in that early church, we're going to sell this piece of property and we're going to give the income from that property to the work of the Lord. And I don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe it sold for more than they thought it was going to sell. Maybe it sold for less than they thought it was going to sell. I don't know what they thought. Maybe they had some other things come up and they thought, you know what? I know we said this, but you know what? I don't. Maybe they reasoned it through. I don't know. I think that's just a lot to give or I don't think anybody will know. Whatever the case was, they decided to go against what they had said. Look at verse number five. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. Verse 7, and it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. She lies to verse nine. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? You notice here how the spirit of God is brought into this. Sometimes when we we think when we're lying, that we're just not disclosing full information to an individual. And you know what? It's probably even sometimes we reason this way. It's probably even better that they don't know the truth because they get angry. Or it caused conflict, or whatever the case may be. I think I think Ananias and Sapphira thought they were lying to people. I don't think they ever considered the fact that they were lying to God. And look what happens. You tempt the spirit of the Lord. Behold, Peter continues, the feet of them which hath buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her, and, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Look at verse 11. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. If you're a born again child of God this morning sitting in this room and you value the word of God, you fear the Lord, there's, a, there's an element of fear. 
God dealt with Ananias and Sapphira this way. Lying against the Spirit of God is important, or it is it is uh, dangerous. It's not to be taken lightly. And again, the, the emphasis I, I bring this morning is this, and you see it in verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Dishonesty grieves the Spirit of God. Dishonesty grieves the Spirit of God. Number two, unforgiveness grieves the Holy Spirit. Unforgiveness grieves the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 26 of Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 26. He goes on, he says, Be angry and sin not. That is possible. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Now he's talking about bitterness. He's talking about unforgiveness. He's talking about resentment. Which again, all of us have experienced. We've all experienced that. Um, we've, we've been offended by somebody else. Something they said. A look they gave us or didn't give us. right? An invitation we got or, or got or didn't get. you know, Whatever the case may be. We've all been offended. We've all found ourselves struggling to forgive someone in the past. And what we're being taught in Ephesians chapter 4 is that when we willingly yield ourselves, or when we give in to the sin of unforgiveness, when we go to bed angry, it turns into bitterness, it turns into resentment. Maybe you found yourself there. The lights go out. You're laying there and you're still festering. You're still percolating. Because this shouldn't have been that way. Or I can't believe they said that, you know. And uh, and that's he's very practical how he puts it. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. It's dangerous. In other words, deal, it while, deal with it right away. That's the emphasis of that truth. Deal with the offense right away. And then let it go. Let it go. Look at verse number 31. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, who is Paul writing to when he says that? He's writing to church members. Are church members ever offended? Are we ever hurt? Are we ever hurt by people in the world? People who are unsaved, maybe coworker or neighbors. Yes. Are we are we ever hurt by our own family? Maybe parents or children or you know, Aunt Bertha at the at the Thanksgiving dinner, you know. Who? More so, okay. I thought that was a specific person you were naming. I was like, whoa, getting a little too close to home. But sometimes we can be hurt more so. You're right. I understand now. It's not aunt more so or uncle more so. It's just sometimes more so with with, uh, people who are close to us. I'm glad you brought that up because within our church family, we can be hurt more so, I think, too. Why? Because we expect more of the people who are closer to us, the people that we trust, the people that we've let our guard down to. Right. We've we've allowed ourselves to grow close to them and them to us. And there's this closeness. And now all of a sudden, when a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ or a a relative offends us in some way. Yes, 
believers can be bitter. Believers can not forgive. Believers can be full of resentment. And so the Spirit of Christ, who is working in us for the purpose of unity, so that we will be a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ to this wicked world, but he's working with people who have ungodly flesh and tendencies, he tells us in verse 31, let all bitterness, which is like a poison, and wrath. Look at these words, wrath. And that word wrath has the idea of fierce indignation. They're offended. <laughs> and he's telling them, and, and, and anger, uh, which is and, uh, has the emphasis of, of uh, revenge or punishment, making sure punishment is done. And clamor, which is an outcry. My children are getting older, but occasionally there's still an outcry. Dad! And I'm not going to tell you all the sins of my children. You only get a certain amount per month. All right, for their own sake. But, Dad, and you know what? Sometimes we as adults feel that same way. They did this to me, right? Now, as you get older, I, Cole, I doubt you run to Dad. You just deal with it, right? Which can also be problematic, right? <laughs> But as we get older, we just deal with it. But sometimes we fester. We're upset. We're angry. There's this outcry. Uh, somebody ought to do something about this. Look at, look at verse 31 again. Uh, clamor and evil speaking. That has the idea of railing. Railing against another person. The person who's offended us. You know what they're doing? I can't. You know what they did? And this is just, I mean, how many of, how many of us want to be a part of a church like this? Where there's... Uh, railing against one another and an outcry. Uh, he did this and she did that and uh, bitterness and, and this seething inside. I mean, how many of us want to be a part of a church like that? How many of us would be like, you know what? I'll just stay home, thanks. I don't want to go to that reunion, right? So so this is the opposite. This is, this is, the, this is worldliness. This is ungodliness. This is a bunch of people that this would be how the unsaved world would look. This ought not be how the bride of Christ looks, how the body of Christ functions. And he ends it with, and put, be, be put away, put all these things away from you with all malice. And the word malice means trouble. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul came to a conclusion and he said this, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Paul basically says this, I don't care who you are or what you've done. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm not going to live my life angry full of malice and trouble, seething, calling for justice to be done in the lives of every person who's ever done me wrong. And Paul had a long list of people who had offended him. Can I say this for just a moment? You 
We cannot serve the Lord Jesus Christ and his spirit and oppose him at the same time. We can't do it. It is impossible. And so bitterness is a root. It's called in the Bible a root of bitterness. It it puts down roots. It takes over. It's consuming. And it, it keeps the individual members of a church from serving, from fulfilling their role within the body of Christ. So the whole body suffers from this. It also spreads, too. It's like a cancer, and it gets in the body of the church, the body of Christ, and it can defile a whole body. Someone recently asked me, um, in a phone call, they recently asked me, is this, and they used the term poison, is this a poisoning that's taking place? Where these members, these these. Uh, the scenario is uh, within a church, members not seeing eye to eye, talking about one another. You see, it's the opposite of what God wants to accomplish. And I understand the offenses can be real. And they can be grievous and they can hurt. But Paul says, it doesn't matter what you've done to me or, or I, am, I am not going to live there. I am going to forgive. Why? He goes on in that verse uh, of what was it? Second, Second Corinthians. Yeah, Second Corinthians, chapter two, verse eleven. He goes on. He says, "Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices." This is a tool of the devil. Satan loves this. This is like his go-to tool, and it's and it's so much. He's got so many opportunities because we do we do offend one another. We don't always measure up to each other's expectations. And he's like coming to a feast, you know, getting the knife out and sharpening it up. You know, this is going to be a feast. Tuck in the napkin, Satan, because there's a feast. you got a bunch of human beings saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, bought by him, belonging to him, and yet robed in this flesh and interacting with one another, getting close to one another, vulnerable because we're close to one another, to be offended with one another and to be critical of one another and then to speak about one another. And Satan has a heyday with this. He loves it. And that's why the Apostle Paul came to that conclusion. He was led by the Spirit of God there. It doesn't matter what you do. I'm not going to retaliate. And the believer, the wonderful truth that allows a believer to come to that conclusion is when God tells us, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And so I can, with that understanding, I can say, you know what, Lord? They're in your hands, but God, I'm going to do good to them. I'm not going to give in to unforgiveness. Um, we don't have time, but we can go to Matthew chapter 6, where he talks about um, believers not forgiving and not being forgivable because they won't forgive. Jesus taught his apostles that. He said, if you won't forgive men their trespasses, neither will I forgive you your trespasses. We're to pray, Father, forgive me as I forgive them. Do you, do you want, before we move on, do you want your father to forgive you the way that you are forgiving people who have offended you? Do you want 
Do you want him to deal with you the same way you're forgiving others? Uh, look at verse number verse number 26. He says, be, be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. So deal with it right away. And then look at verse 32. Here's the opposite of the bitterness in verse 31. He says, and be ye kind one to another. The word kind um, has the idea of easy or gracious. Gracious. Be gracious to one another. That's the idea of kind. Be kind one to another. Tender-hearted means pitiful or sympathetic. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And that's the degree to which we're to forgive. Look at again, verse 32. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I'm to forgive one another, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the same way God forgave me. How, to what degree did God forgive me? The ones, all of them, the, the, the bad ones, the really bad ones, you know, we tend to qualify them. But, but all of our sins were as filthy, all of our righteousnesses were as filthy rags, all, all of our, the works of our flesh, sin, offense to God, um, and God, and I say that, offense to God. We offended him. And he loved us anyway, and he forgave us of everything for Christ's sake. And, and, and God tells us, he tells this church, don't grieve the Spirit of God. Don't hurt him. And when we lie, we hurt him. And, and, and when we don't forgive and when we hold on to things and, and we exalt ourselves like we're some authority in one another's lives and this can happen. I, don't, I, I can't say that I see this as something that's sweeping through our church, but this can happen within a church where people exalt themselves in their own heads and they begin to look down at other people and they're picking each other apart and they're criticizing and there's clamor and outcry and offense and bitterness and all these sorts of things. And when we do that, in the context of this passage, we grieve him. We hurt him. I've often pondered the passage where it talks about crucifying the Lord anew. I've often, often wondered, like, what is that? I think it has to do with this. I can't take him back to the cross. But I can drag him through sin with me. I can, I can sour in unforgiveness. He's, he's lives within me. Do you think it rejoices him to dwell in this tabernacle that is living in unforgiveness and bitterness? It grieves him. One, one more. Look at verse 28. He says, let him that stole steal no more. And this is selfishness. Selfishness, the, the last one I'll give you. Selfishness grieves the spirit of God. Let him that stole, that selfishness, steal no more. But rather let him labor working with his hands the things which is good 
the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. This is the beauty of what the Lord can do, by the way. God can take somebody who was a thief, who used to prowl around and, you know, go out and canvas the area. Oh, they're gone this time. Oh, well, they left this out. They're, they're not very, they don't keep up with their stuff. Um, oh, you're going on vacation. How long are you going to be gone? So that they can take your stuff. Take it, what you've worked for, labored for, take it for themselves, and then sell it and have more for themselves. That's complete worldliness, ungodliness, sin. And what God does is he takes someone who used to do that, and I love the way that verse is written. He takes them and he makes them hardworking, and now he doesn't go out to steal from somebody else, but he labors and he works himself so that what? He can give to others. That's called transformation. That's called a man who is filled with the Spirit of God, who is useful and serves the Lord. Now, look at the selfishness, though. It not only affects someone stealing, but also what they say. Look at verse 29. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's the fleshliness. That's ungodliness. That would grieve the Spirit. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I'm going to give you just three quick thoughts for you to take with you. Some rules for our tongues. And this is always convicting. Um, the first rule is edifying. Our tongues should edify. You see it there in verse number, verse number 29, don't you? But that which is good to the use of edifying. Um, whenever you talk, whenever I talk, we should build others up. Uh, teenagers, when you talk to your parents, you ought to build up your parents. You say, well, I'm a teenager. But are you a Christian? Yes or no? Are you a child of God? Does the Spirit of God live within you? Men, when we talk to our wives, we ought to build up our wives. Wives, when you talk to your husband, you ought to build up your husband. Church members, when you talk to one another, we ought to build one another up. Uh, that's what the word edify means. It means to build up. Our words ought to be encouraging. They ought to be strengthening. Our words, our words ought to edify, build up one another. They ought to be spiritually positive. They ought to be spiritually strengthening. They ought to be spiritually building up our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the question is, is this happening when you speak? Or do your words tear down? When you pass by someone and they talk to you for a matter of a few moments, do they go away built up in Jesus Christ? Do they go away edified in Christ? Is this happening in your home? Is this happening in, in our marriages? Is this happening in our church? I'll give you another word, and that is useful. Useful. Look, at, look again at verse 29. He says, but that which is good to the use of edifying. To the use. In other words, is what you say necessary, useful? I can remember my mom on one particular conversation. I don't know what we were talking about, thankfully. And I was with my siblings, and uh, my mom happened in on the conversation, and she said, is this really necessary? 
And that's exactly what this is saying. To the use of edifying. Is it useful? Is what I'm saying useful? Is what you say useful? Is it necessary? Proverbs 10 and verse 19 says, In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. So the more we say, the more opportunity there is to sin. But he that refraineth his lips, Proverbs says, is wise. I'll give you one more word, and that's gracious. Gracious. So verse 29 talks about words that are edifying, words that are useful, and words that are gracious. The end of verse 29 there, it says that it may minister grace. Is there a sweetness to what you say? I mean that. Is there a sweetness to what you say? Do your words, are they a blessing to other people? Do they ingratiate? Um, Every time we open our mouths, our words should be building. They should be fitting words, words that are fitting. They should be gracious words. And this is the way we all ought to talk. We have a new heart. And again, this is not the world. He's saying, don't be like the world. It ought to be different. He's given us a new heart, and out of the abundance of a new heart, there ought to become new speech. I love what it says in Luke chapter 4, in verse 22, about the Lord Jesus Christ early in His ministry. Listen to this. And it says this, And all bear Him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of His mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? I don't know what that says about Joseph. Um, But the gracious words that poured out of his mouth. You say, but Seth, that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth of Ephesians 4 is, he lives inside of you. He lives inside of you. And he wants to build his church. And he wants his body to be strong and edified. And he wants to do it through you and me. So dishonesty, unforgiveness, and selfishness grieves the Holy Spirit of God. I'm going to close. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Do you know the Lord?